0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for your offering to us of Jesus Christ. Because we know that anything and everything we give to you is only because you have first given to us. We love you because you first loved us. We serve you because you first served us. We give to you because you first gave to us. We thank you for your amazing love and initiative in saving sinners like us. Now we pray that by your gift you would transform us into the likeness of our Savior, that we would walk in all of his ways in gratitude for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Beginning in in verse 22 of chapter 3, we read this, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. And an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath rests upon him. May God bless the reading of His Word and the preaching of His Word to change us by His Spirit. Now, just I want to explain a few things before we get into the meaning of this text. But first, Looking at verses 22 to 24, we see it says that Jesus was baptizing. Now, we see in chapter 4, verse 2, that it wasn't actually Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples who were baptizing, representing him. Uh, Also, John explains, now, this is before John was put into prison. So he's just giving his readers uh, some insight as to when this took place. There would be a common understanding that John got arrested pretty early in Jesus' ministry, but he wants to show here that this was before John had been put into prison. Now these, um, John's disciples begin having a debate, arguments over ceremonial washings, basically debates over baptism, which have been going on throughout Christian history even to the current day. But they're arguing about ceremonial washing, but then this leads to something else. John's John's disciples come to John and uh, say to him, Look, Look at this one that you pointed out to. This one that you testified about. They're all going to Him. All the people are going to Him to be baptized. And what's going on here is it looks like these disciples of John are jealous. They are discontent with the role that they've been given. They That was their thing. That baptism uh, for purification, for repentance, that was their thing. And now all these people are going to Jesus. Now it's not that John and his disciples weren't baptizing anymore. There were still plenty coming to them, but... Slowly, more and more people were going to Jesus and his disciples instead of John. Now contrast John's disciples' reaction to John's reaction himself. He says, uh, this is what I came for. My joy is now complete because this is happening. Because all these are going to Jesus, my joy is complete. And I think verse 30 is the key verse in our passage the NIV says he must become greater speaking of Christ Christ must become greater but I must become less I think that's the key verse we should hone in on that and recognize that is important Uh, some of your versions say he must increase but I must decrease turn to the person beside you and say that say he must increase now turn to your neighbor and say, you must decrease. <laughs> that doesn't that feel good, does it? You must decrease, somebody telling you that? John's saying that of himself. Christ must increase, but I must decrease. I must become less. And then in verse 31, John the author begins picking up here, explaining the quotes of John and what's, what's going on here. This is why Jesus must increase, but John must decrease. Jesus is from above. He's above all. Jesus speaks the words of God. Jesus is full of the Spirit without limit. This is God's Son whom He loves. God has given Him all things, all of His authority, everything under heaven and earth. This is why Jesus must increase. Because He is first. He's above all. He is number one. Therefore, whoever believes his testimony has eternal life. But whoever rejects it, the wrath of God rests upon them. So what's this passage about? In this passage, John exalts Jesus as number one, as the top man, as the top dog. He knows his role. He knows his position. And he knows Jesus must come first. Jesus must increase but John must decrease. And that's what it's about for us too. Jesus must increase, but we must decrease. And as we, you probably maybe felt when someone said you must decrease, this is not natural for us to want to decrease. Everything in our hearts, in our lives, screams, I must increase. I must press forward. I must be number one. I must be first. And so... When I coached a flag football team not too long ago, Uh, in this kind of league, what was going on is every player got to run the ball once per half. So two times every game, I would just hand the ball off, they would run it as fast as they can, try to get a touchdown. And do you know what happened when it was time for us to be on offense? Do you know what the kids said when it was time for us to be on offense? Me first! I want to run first. Me, please, please. So I came up with a rule. Anybody who says, me first, is not going to be first. And do you know what happened after I came up with that rule? No. No. Me first. Still, I want to go first. Me first. You would think they would get the idea, but they, they didn't. And it's because, naturally, we want to be first. We want to have the best. We want to have the most. We want to be the greatest. This is the problem. We want to be first. And this is the problem with John's disciples here. They want to be first. They have a me first attitude. They were jealous that Jesus. This is the one John pointed to. And they were jealous that he was having all the people come to him. They were jealous of his ministry, of his work. And they were discontented with their own work. They weren't happy with where God had placed them in life. And what God had given them to do. What God had given them to be. Now look at verses 27 to 30 though. We see that their attitude is radically contrasted with that of John. He says a person can receive only what he's given to them from heaven. Uh, I think basically there he's saying God has given this role to me and to us. And God has given this greater role. This infinitely greater role and position to his son Jesus. This comes from God. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of Him. What are y'all doing still talking about me? This is not about me. I I told you myself that He is the Messiah. I told you that I am not the Messiah, but it's Him. Why are you still talking about me? It's not about me. He says, I'm just a friend of the groom. I'm just the best man. I've made all the preparations. I've done all that's necessary for this wedding to take place. I'm just the best man, man, and here is the groom. And I I had the chance to serve as the best man in my brother's wedding. And uh, so I wasn't the main event. I was standing off to the side. But when I looked at my brother and the joy that was on his face and the joy that came out in his words as he said, I do, my joy was complete. It filled my heart with joy. John here is saying, I have accomplished my role. To prepare everything that's necessary, everything, to get everything ready for the Messiah. And now here he is. And as he sees people streaming in to Jesus to be baptized, his heart is full of joy. John's disciples had the me first attitude, but here John displays Christ first attitude I'm nothing, I'm just the friend of the groom. I'm just here making preparation. He understood his role and his position. He understood that Christ must continue to increase. Now, I don't think that John fully understood what Jesus was going to do because we get a, a glimpse of John's confusion a little bit later when he's in prison. Is he the Messiah or not? But John does, so I think John doesn't understand necessarily how he is going to fulfill his mission as Messiah through death. Through suffering and pain and resurrection. But here he gets it. Here he gets that he must decrease. Now, if we're all honest, we know that we have been more like John's disciples than like John. We tend to have a me first attitude rather than a Christ first attitude. And this is God's law. This is what God commands us. God first. Above everything else in your life, above your family, above your friends, above your pleasures, above above your career, above everything else in your life, Christ should have the supreme place. He should have the absolute first place. But we have failed in this. Me first. Me first. Like the kids crying out to get the first touch of the football. We cry out, Me first. I want to go first. I... Want to be above everyone else. <clears throat> so I've come up with a little le- list to help us kind of examine if we have this me first attitude. Okay, so you've heard that you might be a redneck if. We're not going to do that this morning. We'll do. You might be putting yourself first if. You might have a me first attitude if you get road rage when somebody cuts you off in traffic. You want to be first. Well, you have no business jumping in front of me. I was guilty of that not too long ago in the Starbucks drive-thru lane. I got a little... I didn't have road rage, but I did get a little huffy under the collar. (laughs) You might have a me-first attitude if you give someone, especially someone you love, a silent treatment. You might be putting yourself first if you know what the Bible says, but you do the opposite of what the Bible tells you to do. If you hit your brother and sister... If you disobey your parents. If if you make sure that the one that you love apologizes first rather than you apologizing first. Or if you apologize, but add that little but on the end of it. I'm so sorry that I did that, but here's my excuse now. You might have a me first attitude if You get in the front of the line. Or listen to this. You might have a me-first attitude if you get in the back of the line so that you can be proud that you got in the back of the line. You see, there are are actually two... We we think that there's one way that you have a me-first attitude. We think that it's all about fulfilling your desires, trying to get you ahead of the line. But there's actually two ways you can have a me-first attitude. One is by fulfilling all of your desires, all of your pleasures. And another... But another side of the me-first attitude is straining toward perfection so that you can be proud of yourself or what you've done. So that you can be, listen to this, proud of your humility. And in that way, you are putting your feelings first, that you would feel good about yourself, that you would feel good about your own righteousness. So, if you say sorry first to your spouse so that you can hold that over their head... You're actually putting yourself first. See, look at how much we mess it up. This me first thing. This Christ first thing. We mess it all up. We can't get it right. And if we begin to get it right and get in the back of the line or submit ourselves or humble ourselves, we're proud about it. We have failed in this. We have truly become like John's disciples here and put ourselves first. So consider what the solution is. If if we can't do it right, and then when we do finally do it right and humble ourselves, but we're proud about it and we sin in that way, what is the solution? How can we be rescued from this me-first attitude, this me-first life? And the answer is that Jesus Christ became last for us. Jesus Christ, who had the place of honor, who had the highest place, who had the first place above every other thing in all of creation, He took the last place for us. He had a Father-first attitude in everything that He did. He had a God-first attitude in everything He did. His will was submitted to the Father's will. His desire submitted to the Father's desire. He obeyed everything that the Father told Him to do. And even in His incarnation, that means His taking on a flesh, He was submitting Himself for our good, for us. Look at Philippians chapter 2, the familiar passage of what Christ has done for us. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 3. Paul begins with instructions to us believers, but then he grounds it in the work of Christ in what Christ has done. He says in verse 3 of chapter 2 of Philippians, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. So you have the place of Christ, the very top. Very in nature of God from all eternity, in perfect relationship and love with the Father. Verse 7, rather, He made Himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see Jesus' Father first attitude in his love, in his humiliation, in him giving up himself. He didn't have to do what he did, but he voluntarily did it. And therefore, God lifted him up again. He raised him up again. He gave him again the highest place of honor. Now, Jesus wasn't just doing this as an example, Jesus didn't just come down as an example. He didn't just become a uh, servant as an example to show us how to be servants. He didn't just die a sacrificial death in order to show us how we must be willing to give our lives for others. He did this so that His righteousness, so that His obedience could be applied to all who come to Him in faith. Do you understand that? That when we come to trust in Jesus, we aren't just forgiven of all of our sins. All of our sins aren't just wiped away, but we are Given the righteousness of Christ, all that he accomplished in his obedience to the Father. This is called active righteousness. The active righteousness of Christ is imputed to all who come to faith in him. So in his humiliation, he's doing everything we should have done. Where we should have had a God-first attitude, but had a me-first attitude, Christ fulfilled it for us. He did it for us. This is His active righteousness, His active obedience. But then there's also passive obedience or His passive righteousness. And this is when Christ hung on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. This is when the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all who would come to Him in faith. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, we can have one of two responses to this, as we see in the passage. He says that he test, in verse 32, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. What is Jesus' testimony? If we look in John up to this point, we can see several things that Jesus has said and done that point to who he is and why he came. He is the latter which has come down from heaven, that everyone who wants access to God, everyone who wants peace to God, must travel upon this ladder. He is the new wine of the feast, which brings joy, which turns our shame into joy. He is the new temple, which which will be destroyed, but then raised up on the third day. He is the one who has been lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, so that everyone who looks to Him will be healed from the disease of sin. And He is the one who came to save. Receive His testimony. This is who He is. If you receive His testimony, you receive eternal life. The other option is to reject His testimony. To to reject who He is for us. There are several ways you can do this. One way that you can reject His testimony is by living a me first life. By living for your own selfish desires. So that everything in your life is patterned after what you want. But another way you can reject the testimony of Jesus is to say that you are good enough to receive God's blessing and favor. To say that you are a good person means that you don't need the the sacrifice of Christ. To say that you are righteous in yourself is to say you don't need a Savior. Do you receive His testimony that He is the one you need? That He is the only way you will receive salvation and eternal life? Or do you reject it by immoral living or by self-righteousness? We must receive or reject His testimony. And if you reject His testimony, either by selfish desires and living for yourself or by self-righteousness, Look at what the scripture says. Look at what John says. In verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. God's wrath rests upon them like a dark cloud that won't go away, God's wrath, is resting on you who have rejected God's testimony in Christ. It's resting on you. His favor is not upon you. And it will never be until you receive Christ. Until you receive His words and His work for you. And then you will receive eternal life. If you have received the testimony of Christ, if you have received His words and His work, you have eternal life. And remember, this eternal life begins now. It's not just eternal life in the future. It's eternal life which begins now. It is a new life in Christ. It's a different kind of life. It's a kind of life that, says, that doesn't say me first. It's the kind of life that says Christ first in everything that I do. It's the one that rejoices as John does when Christ gets the first place, it's the one that cries out with John. He must increase in everything, but I must decrease. I must decrease in always, in my own eyes, I must decrease. Now, that doesn't mean that you think more and more about how bad you are. It just means you think about yourself less. It means who you are diminishes in your eyes as who Christ is expands upon your horizons, that you see more and more of Christ and less and less of yourself. One has said it doesn't mean thinking less of yourself, it means thinking of yourself less. But not only must you decrease in your own eyes, you must decrease in your wife's eyes in your husband's eyes, in order that Christ may increase. You must decrease in your children's eyes. You must have the desire that they would not look to you ultimately, but that they would look to Christ, that they would put Christ above you. And Strange things happen when kids start to see Christ as more valuable, as more beautiful than even their own parents. It will lead some to leave and go to foreign lands to spread the Gospel. Is that the kind of uh, desire that you have for your children? That would demonstrate a Christ-first attitude? Lord, wherever you want them to go, wherever you want them to serve, whatever you want them to be, do that for your glory. I'm willing, Lord. You can have them. All, all for that Christ would be first in their hearts and their minds. When we are given this new life, we decrease in our own eyes and our desires that everyone around us would not look to us in our own goodness, but they would look to Christ and His goodness. Not me first, but Christ first. Not even me second. Others second and me third. I am third. When I was in the 10th grade, my Sunday school class took... A trip to the beach. Some of you have heard this story. but Our Sunday school class took a trip to the beach and uh, there was a man named Jeff Maynard. His whole motto in life was I am third. It was on his license plate. I am third in all capital letters. And that's how he lived his life. That's how he wanted to live his life. I know he wasn't perfect. I'm sure he failed in many ways as a, as a husband, as a man. But this is what he strived for because he knew Christ was first. He wanted to put others second, and he was third. I am third. He was the shepherd of our Sunday school class. And so we went on this outing to the beach. And about four of the teenagers were out swimming, having fun. I was on the beach uh, with some others. And these four young men started drifting out further and further. We could see the tops of their heads for a little while. But then they got further and further, and we could just see little dots, where these young men were. And then we couldn't see them at all. And Jeff was in good shape. He was a long distance runner. And he was our shepherd. And he decided something must be done. And so he took off swimming after these four boys. He couldn't see them. And he just took off to go find them and attempt to rescue them. And we sat on the beach for hours. A, a long time. And after a long time, uh, some came and got us to take us to the hospital where the boys were. And we found out every one of the boys were accounted for. They were worse for the wear. They were worn out. They were hurting. But they were alive. And that's when we found out that Jeff, who had attempted to rescue these boys as their shepherd, Jeff, who put God first, was putting these boys before himself, and he died in that attempt to rescue them. For him, I am third wasn't just a motto. It was a way of life. It was something that he aimed for, even giving up his own life. And we, we reminisce, us guys who are in that class, we reminisce about the goodness and grace that God showed us in the life of Jeff. Now you and I probably won't have the opportunity to give our lives for someone else. To die for someone else. But you know what opportunity we do have. We have the opportunity every single day to live for those around us. To live in love towards your neighbor. Towards your brother. Towards your sister. Towards your mother and father. Towards your wife. Towards your husband. You have the opportunity to live for those around you. And what Christ would have us to do is to recognize that though we are guilty, we have been given grace and now we are to live in gratitude for all that he has done by putting Christ first above everything else, by putting others before ourselves and taking the last place. Because Christ must increase, but we must decrease.